0: It's just a group of teachers who we um, have gotten together and we found other teachers and teacher educators to help um, share their knowledge and things that they're trying in their classroom. Um, And then they are recorded and so you can share them with other people if you want. Um, And so the kind of idea is just like we're a global math community coming together to learn about things that cool things people are doing in their classroom and cool things we can do in our own classroom. And so we are very lucky tonight to have Allison Krasnow here to talk to us about how she's using Desmos. So Allison, if you wanna go ahead and take it away. Great, um, welcome to everybody. Uh, if you haven't already, if you want to introduce yourself and just let everyone know where and what you teach, um, I'm gonna try to scan the chat as I'm talking, but I am curious a little bit just to get a sense of people's who are on here is familiarity with Desmos. Um, Have you used snapshots? Have you used Desmos? Just so I have a sense of who's here in terms of your familiarity. Um, And you can do that while I introduce myself. But I'm Allison. I am an eighth grade math teacher in Berkeley, California. This is my 21st year of teaching, um, but I spent five years at the district office overseeing instructional technology for our district. And then two years ago, I made the choice to return to the classroom. And when I did, I became really intentional about what are the aspects of my own classroom practice that I want to improve. Um, And so thinking about having richer, equitable classroom discussion where I feel like there's just more happening between all of my students is something that I've really focused on in the last two years. It's definitely a work in progress, but it's something I put a lot of thought into since returning to the classroom. Um, And I'm really focused on students making sense of the math they're learning and constantly trying to think about how do I give them opportunities to talk about their ideas? And I find that often the same voices are part of whole class conversations. So this year I've been working a lot and just reflecting on ways to ensure that the mathematical ideas of every student in my classroom are included when we have whole class discussions. And Desmos Snapshots has been a really valuable tool for me to do this because it allows me to purposefully scan student work and use it to bring up ideas that I want us to discuss. Um, and the ease at which Desmos' Snapshots allows me to take screenshots and anonymously post student work For us to then discuss means that I can regularly use it on the fly and I find that it's my go-to tool in terms of using student work to guide our conversations. So these are two questions that I think about every day constantly in my classroom. Um, Whose voices and ideas do I want to be elevated in my classroom? And then how can I think about this constantly when I'm lesson planning and when I'm teaching? Um, And no matter what type of learning students are doing, whole classwork, group work, individual work, I'm constantly thinking about whose voices I want to elevate in my classroom. So. I imagine that some of you are familiar with the book The Five Practices for Orchestrating Productive Mathematical Discussions by Margaret Smith and Mary Kay Stein. Um, this. For those of you that aren't or even for those of you who are, um, this slide are sketch notes. Um, They're by Laura Wheeler who's a high school teacher in Ottawa, Canada and that I just really like because they kind of give a nice like in-depth overview a little bit of what the five practices are. If you're not familiar with them, I definitely recommend checking out the book or reading about them online. Um, But this idea I think is one that many of us do in our math classes often when we have whole class conversations. It's about anticipating kind of what do you believe is the mathematics that your students will arise, anticipating what you believe different strategies will be, um, common, what might some common misconceptions be. And then as students are working, um, monitoring, talking to them, circulating, watching, questioning, um, and then actually selecting student work that you want to use as part of your classroom discussion. Um, And then thinking about how do you want to sequence that work Um, Not necessarily in order of a least developed mathematical idea to a most developed mathematical idea, but sort of what what story do you want to tell with student work that we share with the class to lead a conversation? Um, And how are you going to connect different students ideas so that the big mathematics that you want to come out of a lesson actually comes out of a lesson? Um, So I when I first learned about the five practices, I thought, yes, this makes so much sense to me. Um, And I realized that. I already did some of each of these things, but learning a little bit more about them and the specificity of each of them gave me a lot to think about. Um, So kind of keep these five practices in the back of your head um, as we go through this webinar together. So for me, selecting and sequencing um, student work tends to be the most challenging is what I found. Um, And I'm curious for, A minute if you're new to the five practices you can sort of just do your best to infer what each of them means but if you could just take a minute I'll pause talking for a minute I'm curious to hear from you all of these five practices which is the easiest for you or do you find that you do the most often and why do you think that is and then which of these do you find to be the most challenging for you um, or why do you think you do it the least often Um, so I'm just gonna pause, I'll be quiet for a minute or two, and just take a second uh, to review. Thanks to everyone who's responded so far. Um, so let's see. Um, anticipating can be hard on the fly. Um, easiest can be monitoring students' work, um, especially if you're really fascinated by different people's ideas, it's hard to like make your way around. Um, Anticipating can be the most challenging. What they come up with, students always manage to surprise me. Um, Selecting students' work. Easiest is monitoring. Let's see. Sequencing is the most difficult because it's in real time. Connecting also in real time. Um, Easier for some to monitor and select. Most difficult is connecting. Yeah, so... If you haven't responded and still want to keep going, I'm scanning through the chat here. Um, I do see a lot of like some of the easier ones are the ones that you don't necessarily have to do in real time, like anticipating you don't have to do always in real time. um, But then students do sometimes surprise you. But um, some of the harder ones are sequencing and selecting, um, especially as someone says here, if you haven't put enough thought or you didn't correctly anticipate what was going to happen then sequencing and selecting becomes especially hard um yeah these are really interesting to read take your time and kind of read through them while i'm talking as well um and yeah i think i find that the sequencing and selecting for me as well as many of you um is the most challenging and I feel like part of that for me, which I think is a different interpretation a little bit than how I've seen the five practices interpreted, is that I don't just wanna think mathematically about whose work I'm selecting and whose work I'm sequencing. Like it's not simply a mathematical story I want to tell. Simultaneously, I wanna be thinking about the status of students in my classroom And as I'm selecting work and as I'm sequencing work, sequencing work, this is where I feel like I also want this equity lens. I also wanna be thinking about whose voices need to be in this conversation today, um, whose voices haven't been in our conversation in class recently, um, or what's, you know, if something's going on for students and this would be like a really good day for them to really shine and have their voice in this conversation. um, I feel like for me, I wanna think about not just a mathematical lens for selecting and sequencing, but almost like a status lens of, um, and this is kind of where I see this through this equity lens of whose voices have been in this conversation too much and whose voices do I need to quiet a little bit to raise other students' voices. And I feel like through the five practices, through using Desmos' snapshots, I have a little more intentionality around that. And so I try to not simply think about this mathematical story I wanna tell, um, but I wanna think of it in terms of whose voices need to be in this conversation. Um, So before we look, we'll spend a lot of time tonight in Desmos um, and looking at specifically like how to do this in Desmos with snapshots. I wanna share a little bit of the research. Um, So, Using the five practices is absolutely crucial in strong mathematics instruction. I just don't believe on its own it's enough. Um, And I realized that in my own teaching, every time I'm having a whole class conversation, every time I'm making choices about student work and whose work to show and who should be talking about the work, um, I need to do so with this equity lens. So I started reading resources on the connection between equity and student voice. Um, So I'm gonna share a little bit of that and then we'll go look into Desmos and spend some time with Desmos' snapshots. So the first piece of research I wanna share, um, this is the True Math Conversation Guide. It was developed by Dr. Alan Schoenfeld at UC Berkeley along with many of his graduate students. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. And their work on this idea of agency, authority, and identity (coughs) really speaks to me. I'm gonna read a little bit from the middle of this slide. Um, Our goal is to support all students, especially those who have not been successful with mathematics in the past, to develop a sense of mathematical agency and authority. We want students to come to see themselves as mathematically capable and competent, not by giving them easy successes, but by engaging them as sense makers, problem solvers, and creators of mathematical ideas. And when I read this, I started asking myself, how can I purposefully develop all of my students, agency, authority, and identity, when I'm selecting and sequencing student work to share? How can I keep this core idea always in my head, both when I'm lesson planning and on the fly and in the moment when a lesson is unfolding? Um, A few other ideas related to this that have really spoken to me, This Brene Brown quote was shared um, by Hema Kodai in her talk, Who is a Mathematician, just recently in the Making Math Moments That Matter virtual summit. Um, And Brene Brown says, sometimes the most dangerous thing for kids is the silence that allows them to construct their own stories. Stories that almost always cast them as alone and unworthy of love and belonging. Um, So again, I was asking myself, how can I interrupt this silence? How can I very intentionally be helping create these mathematical stories, developing my students' sense of identity, developing their belief in themselves as mathematicians? Um, And there's two ideas that I also wanna share from Dr. Rochelle Gutierrez's work on identity development in math class. First, this notion that all mathematics teachers are identity workers. So every time I'm using the five practices, every time I'm facilitating a whole class conversation, students' mathematics, students' identities as mathematicians are being developed in some way, whether it's a positive way or a not so positive way, they are, their identity is growing and being shaped um, by the work that I'm doing when I'm using the five practices. And then Dr. Gutierrez also has this notion of mirrors and windows, um, where mirrors are opportunities to be affirmed, to see yourself in the curriculum and to reconnect with self. And windows are opportunities to see out into a new world that may not be familiar, to stretch yourself and to connect with others. And this concept of windows and mirrors has taught me that bringing more voices into the development of mathematical ideas in my classroom on the one hand is important so that all students see themselves as mathematicians, but it's also important because students need to see each and every one of their classmates as mathematicians. So this idea of windows really speaks to me that I wanna ensure that every kid in my class not only develops their own positive mathematical identity about themselves, but that that person sitting next to them, whomever it may be, that they believe that that person next to them is also a mathematician and also has brilliant ideas to share. Um, And so again, when I'm using the five practices, I need to think about this constantly so that I'm developing both this notion of mirrors and windows um, amongst the students in my classroom. So this year, um, again, as I said, this is my second year of returning to the classroom after a five year break where I really try to give myself a daily equity challenge where <clears throat> I want to see all of my lesson planning through this lens. Um, the prompts here are also from uh, Dr. Schoenfeld's true math framework, but these are the, these prompts here are ones that I wanna think about as I'm lesson planning and want to keep them in the back of my mind always as I'm teaching. Um, And there are certainly days when I do a better job of this than others, but I really want to keep this in the forefront of my mind, these ideas as I'm lesson planning all the time. Um, So Desmos' snapshots tool has been really invaluable to me um, to become more aware of how I can incorporate each of these ideas. The most common way I use snapshots isn't exactly to sequence work. Like I wouldn't say that I kind of, strictly follow the five practices, I find that I try to use snapshots to, in Desmos to find examples of student work that can lead to discussion of an open-ended question. Um, So a way that we can look at a bunch of student work and then have a conversation, which ultimately will move our mathematical understanding further. But I try to do this with open-ended questions that I pose. So What we're going to do now is we'll do a little bit of math so that you can get a sense of how I do this. Um, And then I'll show you several examples of snapshots uh, from a variety of Desmos activities from my own classroom. Um, So here's how we're going to do this is I'm going to share my screen with all of you. And since some people are pretty new to Desmos, there's other people here today that are really comfortable with Desmos, but I thought I would just at least quickly go through how you launch a Desmos activity. Um, So first of all, actually before I do that, one second. Um, Okay, so we're gonna do the pool border problem. I chose this problem because it's a math problem that a lot of teachers, are often familiar with, and so I just wanted to choose something that we could kind of jump into the math. Um, If it's new to you, no problem at all. I'm going to give you some time to work on it before I continue talking about snapshots. But um, hopefully for a lot of you, this is a math problem you've seen before. Um, (coughs) Okay, so I'm going to share my screen. And... If you've never launched a Desmos activity before, you go to teacher.desmos.com here, whoops. And then uh, I just searched, I wanted to do the pool border problem, but on the left-hand side here, you can search by topic for various things that you teach. Um, But to launch a new activity, if you've never done one before, you click the button here, create a class code. I now have a new class code. I'm gonna view the dashboard. And then what I'd like for each of you to do is if you could go to what it says up here on the screen. So if you can go to student.desmos.com and put that code in, it's not case sensitive, and then just take at least five minutes and just do the math that comes up. Um, I will, let's see, I will click and try to monitor the chat um, since I'm sharing my screen, I don't want to click back and forth too much. But um, if you could go here, I'll see when you've logged in um, and just spend a couple minutes doing the math. And then we'll create some Desmos snapshots together from that. Okay. Okay. Um, So wherever you are, we're going to keep working on this, but I'm going to pause the Desmos activity for a second so that so you'll get a big black pause on your screen. Um, If you've never used this in your classroom at this point, your students will let out an audible groan usually um, that you've been paused. Uh, I'm here in the silence of my home, so I can't hear your audible groans if there were any. Um, But so a couple of things. One is that um, I'm going to I have in the upper left here this anonymize button. Again, some of you are brand new to Desmos, so I'll just briefly show you tools. But I'm going to anonymize all of you. You've now all been turned into famous mathematicians. um, But that way, in terms of this webinar, you don't have to worry about someone seeing the math you did or this or that. So you're also anonymous. Um, What I want us to do is. um, I'm going to choose one person's. Work. And if I choose on screen three here, I can see each of you who've drawn on the screen. I can see what you did. I can also see over here um, all the expressions and explanations that people did. Um, what I want to do is I'm going to put all of you guys on screen three. So I'm going to use my pacing button and I'm going to put all of you on screen three. And what I would like you to do is on this screen, um, I want you to use colors to show your thinking and then I want you in the um, text box over here in addition to whatever you wrote I want you to write an expression that explains how you counted the tiles so for example on this one that I chose um, I could use this person used blue for all of them which is fine I'm actually gonna encourage you to use a different color for the different parts that you see So for example, I'm gonna just stick purple on the corners. The blue dots make it really clear what this person was doing, but I'm just gonna do this. Um, And if you ever do this on a student's work, you're not actually writing on their work, you're writing on your screen, but it doesn't actually affect their work. So I want you to go back to your slide, this slide right here, and however you see it, I want you to color code it. Um, And then in the text box over here or on the screen, write an expression. Um, So for example, this one, um, if I were in a class, if this wasn't a webinar, I would ask you to to give me your ideas, but I will just do it because I can't switch back and forth between the chat and this. Um, But for example, I could say that this is one, two, three, four, five times four. There's four sets of five and then plus the four corners. Um, There's several ways I could actually write that, but I'll use the parentheses for now. So take a minute. And, and I could also then, I could write that in the chat box, right? Five times four, something like this, um, plus four, okay. Um, take a second, and if you go back to this slide where you're all pasted right now, and do me a favor and use colors to show your thinking of how you counted the border, and then write an algebraic expression uh, in the box if you haven't already, or on the screen, either one is fine. Um, Actually, but stick it in the box, I think is gonna work better. And then I'm gonna unpaste you. And then once you finish that, keep on going forward to wherever you were. And any time that you're asked to explain your thinking when you can, um, either write an expression or use colors for when you have that option. You don't have that option on every slide. So I'll give you a couple more minutes, and then I'll show you. So I'll bring us back together in another minute, and there's no need to finish the whole activity at all. Um, So just get as far as you get, and then we'll all come back together and discuss it. And while we do that, I'm gonna wanna look at the chat. So I'm actually gonna pull this window out. Sorry that your screens are going to flash a little bit. I'm going to try to see two things at once here. <coughs> All right, so I'm leaving, I know you guys can see my, well, my whole screen here. Um, I'm going to leave the chat here because in a minute I want to s- to have a conversation through the chat so I need to be able to see the chat um, in addition to the Desmos. so I think this will be the, the best solution to this make this a little bit bigger okay um, so here's what we're gonna do um I'm gonna pause you guys again we can all have our virtual groans appreciate that um and so now let's talk about snapshots um When I think back to the five practices, there's two aspects to what I want to anticipate before I launch a Desmos activity. Um, I want to think about whose mathematical thinking do I want to be a part of the conversation? Because snapshots are anonymous, um, but students always know if I'm showing their work. And so, and they feel really proud that I'm showing their work. They feel really good that I chose theirs. Um, and so even though their name isn't up there, they know. And they know that I chose them and there's a really nice feeling that they get from that. Um, and then I wanna think about in terms of anticipation before I launch a Desmos activity, what open-ended questions can I ask that will give my students the opportunity to deepen their thinking about the math we're working on? So I'm not necessarily thinking about sequencing student work. Um, For me, I'm actually thinking more of what are open-ended questions that will allow students to develop their understanding throughout this conversation. So, let's take a look at how I would do this. Um, Okay, so, if I go to the snapshots, this tab up here, I'm going to get that by taking screenshots. So let's say I first want to find different methods that each of you used to solve this problem. So I'm just gonna scroll through. I've done this problem, I, you know, in terms of the anticipation, right? I know what the various ways are that you might do this problem. Um, so let's see, in this case with each of you, I don't know you, I don't have specific voices of yours that I want to elevate, right? So that part is hard to model um, in a webinar. But in terms of how to use the snapshots, um, (laughs) I love this, pick me, pick me. All right, here we go, here we go. Um, I have it on anonymous, so I actually have no idea who is I'm choosing. Um, But I do want to choose four that look different. So let's see. I'm going to choose this one. And so you notice when I click this little camera, it says snapshot captured. So I'm going to choose that one because that's a different way of looking at it. Let's see. Um, this one is a different way of looking at it. I'm just going to scroll down here. And this is what I do in real time. Um, so I I see two ways and I sort of see a third. Oh, here we go. Um, here's another one. And I have one person here has looked at it a little bit differently, um, which is this big, small one right here. Um, What happens sometimes is like this, whomever this is right here, who's anonymized as Sophie Germain, um, sometimes I find one and I'll take that for now. Um, It shows an idea that I'm trying to convey, But sometimes there's an idea that I want to convey, which nobody has shown. So I want to show you how you can sort of um, game the system a little bit. But first, I took four screenshots. They're right here in this button that says snapshots. So I click that, they're over here, and over here they have the person's name on them. But when I display them to the class, um, they won't have anyone's name on them. So even if it's not an anonymous, it won't have anyone's name. But what happens sometimes is I might wanna add a piece of student work that nobody thought of. Um, Sometimes I do this ahead of time, but I'm just gonna show you, if you wanted to add one of your own because your students didn't come up with it, if you click the class code right here, and I click this link, I'm gonna go in now as a student. And actually, I don't need the chat right this minute, so let me open this up. So I'm gonna go in as a student right now, and, I'm gonna go to slide three, which is the one that you were just working on, except that it's paused, so let me unpause it, um, and just show you, if I found a solution, where's that slide, here we go, um, that I wanted to put some student work in, and in this case, I'm gonna just color this one. This is one. Only that one person, whoever is Sophie Germain came up with. Um, And this is one where you could take the area of the whole thing and subtract the area of the middle. Um, Let's just say that no one came up with this and I wanted to add a solution. If I go in as a student, like I just did, and now I'm going to go back to this problem, and I'm gonna go back to my teacher screen. The one that I just did, it's right there. Um, So sometimes I go in as a student, if I have a solution that nobody came up with and I can take a screenshot of it, a snapshot, and then I can go to snapshots. And here's this one that I just drew. Um, I'm not gonna use that one right now, uh, but just know that that's kind of a little like Desmos hack you can do is you can go in ahead of time if you have a solution that you think nobody might come up with or make it just in case nobody comes up with it if there's something you want to talk about. So um, this is the one that I made, but I'm not going to use that one, but I just wanted to show how that works. So here is how I could. So when I use snapshots, um, I just take the ones I want to talk about and I drag them on oops, to the snapshot screen. So I'm going to take these four. Um, And then I have this option right here where it says ask a question. So I have two choices right now. Either I can present to the class and notice how there's no names on these. Um, And I could just orally say a question. So often when I do this on the fly, I just orally say a question um, because I just don't have time to type in a question or I don't wanna take the time to type in a question while my students are all working. Um, However, I do have the option to type in a question right here. So I'm gonna type in a question. And what I would like for you guys to do, um, again, I have to do the, have to be able to read the chat. I can't do this full screen, but if this were my class, oh, actually, yeah, I can. Okay, I so here's four of yours. And what I want you to do is in the chat, what expression would explain each drawing? And one thing that I do with my class um, is I tend to put like this one right here is number one. This one right here, we'll call number two. This one right here, let's call number three. And this one right here, let's call it number four. Um, so just take a minute in the chat and maybe just choose one of them. One, two, three, or four, and write an expression that would explain one of these drawings. Someone for number four, this one, has said 4n plus 4. Great. And what I really like about what you're doing right now, which is actually you did organically, and many of my students do too, is that some of you wrote these as an expression with a variable, um, and some of you wrote them as just using actual numbers for this particular pool, um, which is a five by five pool. And that happens organically in my classroom, too. Um, and so without me ever telling you, it brought up this issue of how do we write an expression for this specific pool, which is a five by five pool versus how do we write an expression for any pool? Um, and Many of you naturally wrote an expression for any pool, and many of you just wrote the expression for this particular pool. I didn't say which to do. Um, And this is an example of in terms of how I'm not exactly sequencing the work that I want to show. I'm just trying to ask questions that are open ended that then from looking at your expressions, I could then take this conversation with my class in so many different directions. Um, So I love that that came up organically. Often when I do this, I don't necessarily even do this in the same day like this might be my warm up for tomorrow. Um, So maybe today we did the Desmos activity, but tomorrow we're going to have the discussion with snapshots. Um, When we do things like this, sometimes I have students turn and talk. Sometimes I have students with individual whiteboards and holding up their whiteboards. Um, I usually have some sort of a way that students are discussing this in their table groups before we share out. and like I said, I it's quite common that I would do this work with snapshots the very next day, um, so that I even had time to prepare which ones and didn't necessarily do it on the fly. Sometimes I do it on the fly, but sometimes I just embed this into a slideshow, um, take a screenshot of this whole thing, and use it tomorrow for the warm up, or use it tomorrow as a conversation before we continue working on this. Um, okay, so. Um, and then another example, I'm going to show a few examples from my own students. Um, um, where did I put that window? Hold on one second. Here we go. All right. I'm going to go back over here. So many windows, sorry. So this is when I did this with my own students. Um, and you can see, I took a bunch of snapshots, And then I just like threw them on the page here. So we did this exact thing that you guys did. Here's this first one. Write an expression to explain each drawing. And then we also had a conversation where I showed these and I didn't type this question. This is when, so like, I didn't take the time to type the question. I just said a question orally. Um, And my question here was, which of these expressions are equivalent? And so this was from a slide later on where you were asked to generate an expression, you know, for the for any shape pool. Um, And then we had a conversation of like, which of these are equivalent? I never said that they're all equivalent. Maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. Um, And students at their table groups did some, you know, worked out the algebra, simplified them. And we had a conversation about them. Um, So another example of just an open ended question where, you know, some people thought this one over here wasn't right. We had a conversation like, is this. Is this correct? Mathematically, can you write, you know, an expression like that? Which obviously you can. Um, And so sometimes I type a question at the top and sometimes I don't. And then in this case, in terms of sequencing work, this right here, I put on a separate slide. And the reason that I did that, and this was very intentional, was that I teach eighth grade. We have not learned how to simplify this. Um, students don't know how to multiply polynomials at this moment in time. And I wanted to sort of do this as a like, if we have time at the end, because some people had seen it like this, as some of you did, um, but this particular expression, no one in my class would have known how to simplify on their own. So I didn't add this one into the last set of snapshots. Instead, I kept it as a separate thing. And then it was a, like in the last few minutes of class saying, hey, this one came up too. Um, and then I said, you know, you actually don't need to know this until you get to high school, but let me show you how you would simplify this. And there was all sorts of excitement about learning something that, you know, was high school math since we were just eighth graders. Um, but I purposely kept this separate so that when I showed these back here, I knew I was giving something that we all had access to. Um, but yet I still found a way to incorporate that other expression, um, even though it was some algebra that we hadn't learned yet. So. There's a few examples from this particular activity. What I'm going to do now, I'm actually going to come back to the chat. Um, I'm going to stop sharing my screen and go back to the slideshow. So give me one second. I think my slide should pop back up. Come back. Nope, hold on. I've lost the slides. Um, Oh, there we go. Okay, great. So I also wanted to just show a few other examples of how I've used snapshots. Um, And you haven't done these activities, obviously. um, But I wanted to just show some uh, other ways that I've kind of done these like open ended questions where there isn't necessarily a wrong answer, but there's conversation to be had for all of them. Um, Oh, and yeah, Janice had asked when you take snapshots. And ask students a question, is there a workspace in the Desmos activity for their answers? No, there isn't. So yeah, I either use whiteboards um, or often I just do this, like I'll show snapshots like this and on the board I just write one, two, three, four and I just say, you know, turn turn, and talk with your partner or talk with your table um, and then we just discuss them whole class. For the last example where there was algebra simplification to do, um, If I feel like it's the kind of thing where they need some scratch paper, yeah, I tend to have them with mini whiteboards, um, which for me, there's a stack that just lives in my table groups, like right in the middle of the table. Um, So this is an example, this one here um, of a, this was from a Desmos activity on the introduction to translations. So in transformational geometry that we do in eighth grade. Um, And again, which of these describes all translations? So If you read these, I mean, you could certainly think some are more like mathematical precise definition than others, but I purposely chose ones where everything here does describe a translation. Um, And then we had a conversation afterwards of like, if we were going to write a precise mathematical definition of a translation, what would go into it? Um, But any, and so some people would say like, well, I think one does because of this. Um, Then someone would say, you know, well, three, like, Can we make it a little more precise? Like there was this really rich conversation, but I purposely chose four responses that all describe translations and all of them we could have refined them and we did as part of our conversation. So again, I'm sort of constantly thinking less about sequencing like the order that I might use student work and instead how can I show several pieces of student work at once and then pose a question that we can talk about and we can engage with all that student work at the same time. Um, So a few more examples, and again, I always tend to write this one, two, three, four. It just makes it easier for conversation when someone can say, oh, number two is this. It seems easier than saying the upper left hand corner or whatever. Um, This is from an activity uh, about classifying solutions when you have equations with variables on both sides of the equal sign. Um, This was an activity where it's like a function machine um, or a number machine where the number came in this side. And came out the other side, um, <coughs> and so the same number would go into the top expression as the bottom expression. And the question that I posed here was just how many solutions does each equation have? Um, some of these are infinite solution, some of these are no solution. And this was just the other day when we were starting to introduce this idea of when you have variables on both sides of the equation, um, you know, how many solutions would it have infinite solutions, one solution or no solutions? We had, they had spent like 20 minutes playing around with actual numbers going into both of these, the top and the bottom. So they understood at this point that what we were talking about was this top needing to be equal to the other. And so again, like choosing ones, um, not saying, you know, which they are, which they aren't, just which one, how many solutions does each equation have? And so then they worked through each one and we talked about it and we talked about why. Um, this is um, from a Desmos activity called Smallest Solution. Um, it's also uh, about uh, equations with variables on both sides of the equal sign. And I, so what students had done was taken digits 0 through 9, they dragged them into these boxes to make their own equations. And the slide actually asked them to make um, the smallest solution. And then when I asked this question to the class, I posed it slightly differently so that we as a group, as a whole class, we're thinking about something a little different than what Desmos had asked. I just asked which equation has a solution closest to zero. Um, and again, so they're like fiddling around on whiteboards, they're solving. And what the nice thing about this is that even if you had made an equation as a student, you may or may not have gotten around to solving your own equation. But asking a question of which one is closest to zero, again, gives us the opportunity to look at all of them um, through equal eyes. And then we could have some conversations, too, in terms of like which ones felt easier to solve, um, which ones were more complicated to solve. uh, Can the answer be a fraction? Can the answer not be a fraction? Can the answer be zero? Can it not be zero? Um, So it brought up all these mathematical ideas, but without again, like I didn't specifically sequence students work um, as much as tried to just include a variety of students work. So when I think of these open-ended questions, I try to think of questions that are similar mathematically but slightly different than the one that Desmos has posed in the activity since they've already solved the question that Desmos posed um, as a way of gathering work. And sometimes I'm not even gathering work from the same slide. Um, If I go back a slide, some of these were from a slide where students were asked to create expressions um, that would have infinite solutions. And some of these were from a different slide where they were asked to create expressions that would have no solution. And I just took snapshots from more than one slide and pulled them together on this one slide. So I try to when I'm using snapshots, think of a question that they have not yet already answered. um, When I throw, you know, kind of compile the student work together. The other thing I really like about this is that then students have the opportunity to be right and wrong in meaningful ways. and it's never clear, like, are these right answers? or these wrong answers? And like, what are we looking at? So I really like that because students become more willing to take risks in terms of what they're talking about in their groups, because there is no clear right like this. There's no clear right or wrong answer on the screen. Um, and I think it creates a lot more conversation than among students. So for the last couple minutes, minutes. Um, I just threw a few questions together of implications to consider. And I just wanted to take a little bit of time at the end here. If you have questions for me about any of these tools or thoughts, you can put them in the chat or just your own reflections about any of these first three questions. I would love to just hear what you're thinking um, or answer any specific questions that you have in our last couple of minutes. So do you see value in having this equity lens around whose voices are elevated in your classroom? How can your use of the five practices and Desmos' snapshots help develop ideas of agency authority and identity in your classroom? Do you have first steps that you wanna take? Or if you're already doing a lot with this, um, do you have ideas from this webinar that can grow from what you heard tonight? How can we support each other in doing this work? Or just any questions for me? I'd love to answer any of those in our last couple of minutes. Is there a situation where you wouldn't snapshot? Um, I mean, honestly, I use them when, I mean, time to be honest, like certainly is a big factor and when I do or don't use snapshots, I definitely don't use them like every single day or every single lesson. Um, I use Desmos a lot. I would say I probably use a Desmos lesson two to three times a week. Um, and I often use snapshots at least once, but I don't necessarily use it for like a long, long period of time. Um, and, but I would say for me in terms of like, are there situations where I wouldn't use snapshots in terms mathematically speaking, I feel like sometimes I, it's like, I kind of have to look case by case at the Desmos activity. And sometimes it lends itself to it more than others. But I really like using it when I can pose a question that is a little different from what they've already done in the Desmos activity, um, where I feel like I can kind of take their work and by looking at the work, there are some mathematical ideas that I think will emerge. Um, And so some of that is just looking ahead of time at the Desmos activity. And I tend to write down like, oh, screen number four, here's the question I would ask. Like I tend to jot down ahead of time what I'm thinking of snapshotting. Um, I don't always think of them in the moment like super spontaneously. Um, yeah, I appreciate the comment, George. You said obviously using an equity lens is important and critical and doesn't require Desmos or any tool, absolutely. Um, and for sure, like we should be looking through that kind of a lens all the time, no matter what we're teaching or what materials we're using. And um, I very much agree with that. Um, Yeah, there's a comment of do less vocal students speak up in whole class discussions if I shared their screen. Absolutely. Like 100 percent. Absolutely. And as much as it's anonymous, students are always like, oh, my gosh, that's mine. And they get really excited and beaming and proud. And I don't tend to out them per se if I'm trying to keep it anonymous. But if they do that. If it's someone, especially who's not as vocal of a student, I'll always say like, I love this one. Here's why I love this one. And do you want to tell us more about what you were thinking? Um, And I find that, yes, like once you've put students work on the screen in this very like safe, non non judgmental way that it does. It brings students like actual verbal voices into a conversation when often they otherwise wouldn't have been. Using multiple snapshots from the same Desmos activity. Um, sometimes, I, again, like some Desmos activities I use and I'm done with them in 20 minutes. Other activities, we do some of it one day and then it's really rich and we're going to use some of it the next day. That tends to be when I might incorporate snapshots into a warm up um, before we've even like gotten on to the computers on day two. Um, I'd say once or twice in an activity, but not necessarily more like I'm not necessarily I don't want to like work and then stop and then work and then stop and then work and then stop. They get irritated with that a little bit. Um, So I try to do it like either in the beginning of a day from yesterday's activity or mid activity when there's a big idea that I want us to discuss. Let's see, let me scan a little bit more. And yeah, it's true in terms of protecting their identity. Like students, the handwriting, like um, they really don't have a way. One thing, if you haven't used snapshots before or Desmos activities a lot, I didn't mention this earlier, but I tend to close the covering of my LCD projector while I'm fiddling around with this. So yes, you can anonymize it, but you're still clicking on students' work in front of the whole class. So I tend to just like, I guess if I had a mounted one on the ceiling, I would black the screen for a a little bit. My LCD is on my table. So I just close the little white piece, plastic piece over the lens. Um, And so I fiddle around when no one can see the big screen of me fiddling around. And that's definitely one of those kind of Desmos hacks that's been really helpful for me um, is to choose. Otherwise, they're all watching you choose. Um, And then they do. They literally shout out, pick me, pick me um, or don't pick me, don't pick me. And I just want to kind of do that apart from that, So I do tend to turn the LCD off, whether that's, you know, covering the bulb or blacking the screen. Um, so I'm going to keep reading the chat. Um, it is just about the end of our time, um, but I'm super excited to read all the things that each of you wrote. Um, can you save students' work? Yeah, you can save students' work, like, if you those snapshots are saved there forever. So like I showed you some from my own classroom. Those ones that I showed you from my own classroom are from like three months ago. Like we did this problem a long time ago this year. So it is saved like that. It's saved in snapshots. And then you could always take a screenshot <coughs> Excuse me, of a student's work if you wanted to share it with kids. Um, and then if you un- un- unanonymize it, you see the students work. So if you knew that, oh yeah, this kid in my third period class, I really want to share this one with the family. You could just go back to that third period lesson from, you know, whatever, unanonymize it and find that students work. Um, so it is seven o'clock. Um, I'm happy to stay on for a few more minutes. This is, I would love to stay in touch. Um, these are the best ways to get in touch with me uh, through Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter. You're more than welcome questions that remain tonight. Um, you're more than welcome to just tag me on Twitter and I'm more than happy to answer them. Um, if you want to email me, that's my email. I'm happy to have a longer conversation about any of the things that were raised tonight. I'm gonna really carefully and slowly go through the chat when we're done. Um, I have a blog. I've Blogs seem to be like a dying art, but I try to blog once in a while at least um, and keep it a little bit up to date. So all those are great ways to get in touch with me, but I absolutely would love to connect with each of you through Twitter. Um, Happy to answer all of your questions personally. So I'm going to read the chat, but definitely reach out and let's stay in touch. I'm really excited to see where you each take this and to sort of think through these issues together. So I really appreciate you all being here and thank you so much and thank you so much this was wonderful i'm